join me again in your Bibles in the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 8. Covered all of chapter 7 last week. We're going to cover all of chapter 8 this week. Chapter 8 is significantly shorter than chapter 7. And then after that, we'll slow down through chapters 9 and 10 because it gets a little thick there. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, as we see Jesus, the better priest of a better covenant. Over 13 years ago, on January 9th, 2007, the CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, took the stage at the Macworld conference and told the world that Apple was releasing that year three innovative products, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a brand new internet communications device. A widescreen. Now, nobody seems very surprised by that today. In 2007, you can go to YouTube and you can watch this keynote address that Steve Jobs gave. And as he's giving it, the people in the crowd are absolutely wrapped with what he is saying. They are totally caught up in the news that Steve Jobs is delivering. In 1984, they released the Macintosh, the first uh, uh, personal computing device with a graphic user interface, a GUI. That's, I learned that word from Pastor Danny. In 2001, or 2000, I believe, they came out with the iPod that revolutionized not just the way we listen to music, but the entire music industry. Now no longer are, are, are artists putting out CDs and records, although there are vinyl things coming out now. That's kind of made a comeback, but everything was going digital. And in 2007, he shocked the world with three new products, an iPod, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a brand new internet communications device. And then he makes the turn. These are not three different products, but one. And at that Macworld conference in 2007, Steve Jobs introduced what we all, well, most of us, many of us, hold in our, phone, or in our pockets, the iPhone, the first iPhone revolutionized the world of mobile phones. Now no longer were smartphones these things with little two-inch screens and hard plastic keyboards with little spinny wheels or buttons in the middle. Now the whole thing was just one big screen that you could touch on with your finger and, and cause it to do all sorts of different things. Totally opened up and changed the way that people do personal computing and communicate, uh, even surf the internet. Now, whether you have an iPhone in your pocket or a Samsung device or something else uh, along those lines, you have some sort of smartphone in your pocket today, you hold uh, some sort of iteration of that first iPhone. That news that Steve Jobs gave in 2007 changed the world forever. It made every other form of phone prior to that moment obsolete. There was now no, no longer, we were never going back to, to flip phones and clamshells and Nokia candy bar style phones. As much as you might love those things, and as much as uh, they entertained us in college classrooms playing centipede or whatever else you may have been playing, we weren't going back to that. We we're only going forward with something new. Now, I know some places still sell flip phones and that sort of thing, but by and large, they are obsolete. The announcement of a revolution in that product line changed that world forever. It was a better phone for a better day. As we look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, we are going to see the author of Hebrews communicate to us, not that we have a better phone, but we, that we have a better priest. And along with a better priest, a better covenant. One that makes the old one obsolete. One that changes the way that we'll relate to God forever. 
as great high priest who sits at the right hand of God, Jesus is the better priest and mediator of a better covenant. That is the main idea for us this morning that we are going to circle in on, that Jesus is the better priest and mediator of a, of a better covenant. This morning, I hope that as we encounter this truth from God's Word, that we would understand that, first of all, the, the picture of the earthly temple and the old covenant that, that characterized, characterized most of the worship of the Jewish people were meant to ultimately point to greater realities than what we could see with our eyes, greater, greater realities that are ours in Christ, and that we would also be reminded once more of the necessity of knowing Jesus for the salvation that He provides Jesus is the better priest and mediator of a better covenant. Let's read God's word this morning. Would you stand with me as you're comfortably able? Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 13. The author of Hebrews begins, Now the point in what we are saying is this. Isn't it nice that when, when the authors of Scripture just tell you exactly what the point is? The point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest to also have something to offer. Now if he, speaking of Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, And here he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus is the better priest and mediator of a better covenant. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 8, first, the, f- the first half of this main idea, Jesus is a better high priest. He's a better high priest. In all of chapter 7, which we looked at last week, the author of Hebrews is communicating to his readers and to us uh, the kind of priest that we all really need. We need a priest that is better than Melchizedek, one that is beyond the confines of the law that the Levitical priesthood served in the tabernacle and in the temple. We need a priest that can go beyond that, that can go not just into the holy place of a temple, but that can go into the very presence of God to represent us there. He tells us in chapter 7 the kind of priest that we need, and he shows us in chapter 8 the kind of priest that we have. Jesus is that better high priest. 
He is better in the sense that he sits in the highest place, as our author tells us in verse 1. He sits uh, at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Here he's recalling what he's already said in chapter 1 of this letter, verse 3, that he is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sits in a divinely royal place. He is eternal. He is divine. He is God in flesh, fully God, fully human. He is the true king of righteousness, the true king of peace that Melchizedek prefigured and that Jesus fulfills. Not only does Jesus as a better high priest sit in a higher place, he also ministers in a better temple. We see this in verses 2 through 6. Jesus does not minister in the earthly temple, in the temple in Jerusalem in his day but he ministers in a heavenly temple, in the true sanctuary of God. He ministers in the very throne room of God Almighty. These verses for us highlight again that the earthly tent, that is the tabernacle, that tent that uh, Moses and the Israelites would pack up and, and set up and pack up and set up as they wandered through the wilderness those 40 years, that tabernacle which was the meeting place or the place of worship for the people of God until the temple was built by Solomon some several hundred years later, the, the tent, the tabernacle, the temple ultimately resemble heavenly realities, a heavenly temple. The tent that we have, the temple that we had on the earth was a figure, was a shadow, was a copy, as the author of Hebrews says, of better realities. So just like as we saw in chapter 7, Melchizedek, that Old Testament priestly, kingly figure prefiguring Jesus, he's a shadow, an illustration of what Jesus would more perfectly fulfill. So also the temple in the Old Testament and the worship that took place there prefigures the heavenly dwelling of God and the kind of worship, the kind of closeness that God wants with his people. The old covenant priesthood, the Levites that came in the line of Aaron, had priests that were appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's how worship took place in the temple. First for themselves, because they had sins that needed atoning, and then they would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. These priests would serve there in that earthly temple, tent, tabernacle, which our author says is a copy and a shadow. It's a figure, a sketch. It's an illustration. It is a, 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 a faint archetype that, that foreshadows a later reality, the later reality of the heavenly temple where God dwells in his fullness. Now let's talk about types and shadows and, 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 and types and antitypes and that sort of thing. It uh, may cause some of you to think to the philosopher Plato and, and his idea of his understanding of, of what the world and what reality was like. Plato uh, constructed this idea of thinking about the world that, that there was this physical world and then there was like the real stuff beyond this physical world. He would say that, that mankind was like a man sitting in a dark cave who uh, was, was lit from behind by, by firelight and all he could see were shadows on the wall and the shadows on the wall of that cave were representations of the real thing. So a shadow of a man's hand was just a, a figure of the real hand. And so he would say in the world around us, everything that we see are just shadows of the true thing. So like a, a, a chair that we sit in is not a real chair, but it's a figure of the, the, it's a form, a shadow of the perfect chair. Now that's all very sort of uh, uh, abstract and, and hard to consider. This is not what the author of Hebrews is saying. 
He's not saying that the earthly temple was just a, a shadow, a, a representation of a, of a real thing that actually existed. No, he says that the, the earthly temple is, uh, is kind of an illustration, kind of a, I don't want to say a dumbed-down uh, dumbed uh, 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 instance of it, but something like that. It, it figures, it shows in some way, it illustrates how God exists in heaven and how it is that people approach him. The author will play on uh, the Old Testament passage from Exodus 25, 40, saying that Moses created the, or, or built the tabernacle according to the pattern, that is the type that was shown to him. This, is a, a, this means it's a, a visual form designed to be imitated. In this way, the Old Testament covenant, the old covenant of sacrifices in the temple with its priests and its tabernacle was the imitation of a heavenly reality meant to foreshadow and to point to that reality and everything that was done there, that God desired, longed to be with his people. But because of his holiness and their sinfulness, they were, they were separated. They needed someone, an intermediary, to go to God on their behalf. That's what we see in the temple. But all of that is to point to a day where a better priest comes, who can enact a better covenant, who can do something more for us with God than those priests could do. Jesus is the priest, not from Levi through Aaron's line, but through Judah. He does not serve in the temple under the old covenant law. He was not able to. He wasn't a Levite, but rather he serves in heaven, in the real presence of God, according to not the old covenant, but a new one, a better one. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8 says that as it is, Christ's ministry is a priest. What Jesus does for human beings is more excellent than the old priesthood. Because the covenant that he serves is a better covenant. It's better because it's based on better promises. It's based on the promise of a new covenant, which we will see in the verses just to follow. The the covenant that Christ himself brings by his death on the cross and resurrection. Jesus is a better high priest. And he is, as we see in verses 7 through 13, the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is a better high priest of a better covenant. Verse 7 notes for us that the first covenant was not faultless. There was some shortcoming to the first covenant that God gave to his people. Now, this does not mean that the old covenant of offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices in the temple to atone for sins, that this was a bad or sinful covenant. In fact, the, the covenant itself, the law was very good. It was a very good means of reminding the people of their sin and of their need to plead for God's grace and mercy for sins it had committed. But as our author noted in chapter 7, verses 8 through 19, Christ's priesthood, in service as a priest, as a mediator for us to God, supplies a sacrifice that not only makes it able for God to pass over sins, as in the Old Covenant, but to take away sins entirely. That is why it is better. The Old Covenant, as it were, had a divinely planned obsolescence. The Old Covenant was designed to wear out. The Old Covenant was designed to give way to something better. If you have an iPhone today, you know very well the concept of planned obsolescence. You don't have to hold on to that thing for more than a couple of years before it starts to you know, just kind of stink out on you and you've got to go buy a new one. That's not by accident. Apple does that on purpose. They want you to buy new things. In the same way, God in, uh, inaugurated an old covenant that was meant to wear out and be replaced by a new, a new one that would never grow old, a new one that would never need replacing. The old covenant was always meant to make way for a better one. So in verses 8 through 13 of Hebrews chapter 8, our author 
cites Jeremiah chapter 31, a pivotal text in the Old Testament, to remind the Hebrews to whom he is writing, these Jewish background believers, of the covenant that Jesus is a better mediator of. The verses that he cites from Jeremiah 31, uh, 31, verses 31 through 34, are often referred to as the new covenant, a promise of a new covenant. And God says, essentially, that that is what he is going to do. He's going to make a new covenant with them, as cited in verse 10. This new covenant that God is going to bring to his people, this new covenant that will replace the old, has essentially four parts. First of all, we see in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, that he will write his law on the hearts of his people. What's significant about that? Well, prior to that, the law was written on tablets of stone and in scrolls of papyrus. The law was written on paper, had to be returned to time and time and time again to remember and to apply to one's own life. God says in the new covenant, he's going to take that same law and write it on our hearts. He's going to cause it to be a part of who we are. He's going to internalize it. Second, he and his people will mutually possess each other. Look at the second part of verse 10. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This concept of God possessing his people and his people possessing him, they will be mine and I will be theirs, has all of this uh, the, uh, imagery of the closeness even of, of marriage in a sense. It's how close God will relate to his people in the new covenant. Third, Hebrews 8 verse 11, citing Jeremiah 31, 34, says they, the, that they shall all know the Lord. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Here is a picture of the pervasiveness of the knowledge of God among his people in the new covenant. No longer being separated by priests and rooms in temples, but everybody knowing the Lord personally. Finally, and maybe maybe best of all, God always send, tends to save the best for last, doesn't he? Verse 12 of chapter 8, citing Jeremiah 31, 34, again says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The best part of the new covenant is not that God is, only, is, not that God is any longer uh, uh, just merely passing over sins in his mercy, but that God is removing sins entirely by his grace. I will remember them no more. Verse 13 says that simply because God said in Jeremiah 31 that he was bringing a new covenant made the old covenant obsolete. Steve Jobs taking the stage in 2007 to say a new phone is coming made all the other phones obsolete, didn't it? Paved the way for something brand new. So the same is true and all the more with the covenants. When God showed up and spoke through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 saying, I will bring a new covenant, he was saying the old one is becoming obsolete. Moreover, that old covenant, the old covenant practices that were still taking place in the temple, offering animal sacrifices for the atonement for sins. Those practices were still taking place in the day of the writing of uh, this letter to the Hebrews. They themselves were growing old. The author is saying, move on to the better. Leave old things, leave obsolete things to be and embrace the new covenant. These were old worship practices in the day of the new covenant that was verified in Christ's death and in his resurrection. There's no longer any need to go back to those things. The point here is clear. In Christ, there is only one valid covenant with God, only one valid way to relate to God, and it is exceptionally better than the one that it replaced. The new covenant of grace in Jesus is exceptionally better than the old covenant that was practiced in the temple. 
Though the Old Covenant allowed for physical and tangible experiences associated with worship, it was a very visceral thing to sacrifice an animal for your sins and present it there. The New Covenant surpasses all of that in the benefits that it brings. And you can imagine it could be difficult for a Jewish background believer who worshipped in the temple, now coming to faith in Jesus, to give up those old, uh, those old covenant practices. It's a very physical, tangible reminder of their sin, of their need for forgiveness, of their worship of God. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, all that's obsolete. And they're going, wait, what? Everything that I grew up knowing, everything that I, that I grew up doing and worshipping, all that's old, it's going away now? The author of Hebrews says, yes, but what you have in Jesus is exceptionally better. No longer are men and women required to maintain relationship with God by providing a sacrifice for the passing over of their sins, because in Jesus, their sins are taken away altogether, and all that is left is the joy of being in the presence of God with Christ. By having the Holy Spirit live within the hearts of those who believe in Christ, we are living stones built on the living cornerstone that is Christ as a people who are a better temple of God, who offer sacrifices of praise and worship and thanksgiving, not to receive forgiveness, but out of grateful hearts that have already been totally and utterly forgiven of sins. Jesus is a better priest of a better covenant. This much is clear. The point for us today, friends, is this. Whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian alike, you must come to Jesus for the blessing of his covenant. If you long to have the law of God written on your heart, for for God to be yours and you to belong to him, to know the Lord, for your sins to be removed, there is but one way to this. One way to receive the blessing of this covenant. It is through Jesus, your great high priest, who gave his life for your sins and was raised from the dead. Hear what Charles Spurgeon, the great British Baptist preacher, says on this. He says, the word of the covenant of grace is not to wash the outside, not to cleanse the flesh, not to pass you through rites and ceremonies and Episcopal hands, but to wash the inside, to purge the heart, to cleanse the vitals, to renew the soul. And this is the only salvation that will ever bring a man to enter heaven. You may go tonight and renounce all your outward vices. I hope you will, he says. You may go and practice all church ceremonies. And if they are scriptural, I wish that you may. But they will do nothing for you, nothing whatsoever as to your entering heaven. If you miss one thing else, that is, getting the covenant blessing of the renewed nature, which can only be got as a gift of God through Jesus Christ, and as a result of simple faith in Him who did die upon the tree. Dear friends, there is one way to enter into, to receive the blessings of the new covenant, and it is through faith, simple faith in Jesus. Not through your record of church attendance, not through your tithing, not through your works of righteousness to prove how moral you are. The only way to receive these covenant blessings is to go through Jesus, your better high priest. But you may say, I can't connect to Jesus. I have a hard time relating to him. He seems so far away. You say he's God and, and I believe that, but, but I can't relate to him. I, 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 can't, I can't experience him in my, in my life. I just, I can't connect to him somehow. And dear friend, I would encourage you to meet Jesus, the God-man, your better high priest. Meet him in the Gospels. Open the Word of God. Turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read of Jesus and be captivated, be compelled by the man of grace and compassion and strength and kindness that he is. 
as part of our grow group this fall semester. A group of guys that I meet with are reading through the Gospel of Mark. And we worked through Mark chapter 1 last week. We're going to look through Mark chapter 2 this week. And I found myself, I've read the Gospel of Mark I don't know how many times, but I found myself once again reading about this man Jesus, God in flesh, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. I found myself totally compelled by this man. At the end of Mark chapter 1, just reading about this very quick sort of snapshot comic book style presentation of Jesus, I found myself saying, I want to know this guy. I want to know this Jesus. If you say you can't connect with him, if you have difficulty connecting to Christ, meet him in the Gospels and find yourself compelled by him there. Dear Christian, you who know Christ, remind your soul today. Remind your soul today. This is not a sermon that says, do these five things to have a better week this week. This text is far better than that. It reminds us that we need to remind our souls to preach the gospel to ourselves. that because your faith is in Jesus, that because you have a new heart within you, because his law is written there by his Holy Spirit, because he has removed your sins far from you, you need to remind your soul that there is nothing, no nothing that can remove you from this covenant and its blessings. There's nothing you have to prove to God today to receive his grace tomorrow. If your faith is in Jesus, all that is in Christ, all that is yours in Christ is yours today. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful, sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Christ the new has come. A new covenant of grace that leads to a new heart and a new life by the Spirit of God, Hebrews says. The old is gone and obsolete. The old covenant that highlighted our separation from God. The old way of offering sacrifices, uh, sacrifice after sacrifice for sins that would never go away. That old way of waiting for the dawning of a new covenant is over. The new has come. Christ has given his life for your sins. He has presented his sinful life as a sacrifice for you, not in a temple made by human hands, but in the very dwelling place of God himself. And he takes everyone who is in him by faith to that very same place with confidence. The better covenant is ours through simple faith in Jesus, the greater high priest, the better high priest. Dear friend, let's do away with obsolete things. Let's do away with old ways of trying to prove our righteousness, to prove our worthiness to God. And let us embrace the new covenant that is ours in Jesus Christ, the better high priest of a better covenant who brings us into the very throne room of God by his grace. Shall we pray?